Good morning, new community. Glad you are here with us this morning. Uh, we are now, I believe, in the third Sunday of our Mark series. So uh, today we're going to be talking about Mark 2, 18 through 22. So if you've got a Bible, let's turn there now. I believe it will also be up on the screen up here. I'm going to read it. I believe Jerusha already mentioned as well that we're, uh, this morning will be different. Not going to be a traditional sermon in that I stand up here uh, and speak for 30 minutes. We're actually going to invite a couple of other individuals up to kind of help us understand this passage or maybe what Jesus is getting at this passage from uh, wisdom from our community, but also experience within our community. So um, I'm excited to introduce these two gentlemen here in a minute, but let me say a few words just to get us prepped. So I'm going to read this. Mark 2, 18 through 22 says this. Now John's disciples and the Pharisees were fasting. Some people came and asked Jesus, how is it that John's disciples and the disciples of the Pharisees are fasting, but yours are not? Jesus answered, how can the guests of a bridegroom fast while he is with them? They cannot, so long as they have him with them. But the time will come when the bridegroom will be taken from them, and on that day they will fast. No one sews a patch of unshrunk cloth onto an old garment. Otherwise, the new piece will pull away from the old, making the tear worse. No one pours new wine into old wineskins. Otherwise, the wine will burst the skins, and both the wine and the wineskins will be ruined. No, they pour the new wine into new wineskins. What we see throughout Mark is that Jesus does not conform to cultural standards. His love, his grace, his acceptance pushed boundaries. Jesus didn't conform to the expectation of the time, and from the earliest moments in his ministry, it created anger and hatred in the hearts of the religious elites and the authorities. You see, Jesus came to bring something new, and he spoke clearly that the old ways of thinking, the old ways of being, would no longer work in the kingdom that he was establishing. As he uses this word picture of wine and wineskins, everyone knew that new wine would ferment. And as it did, the gases would cause the vessel to expand. So if placed in an old wineskin, one that was not supple enough to expand with the wine, it would burst rendering everything a waste. This, I believe, is still true today. Jesus' message, while no longer maybe new, it's still radical. It upends most of what our world holds as valuable. It can't be corralled by our own comforts. It can't be corralled by our own desires. And so I believe it's important, as his followers and disciples, to be like new wineskins in a way open and adaptable, able to be moved and changed by his teaching, and to resist the temptation to grow static, to grow rigid, to be brittle, like the old skins he describes. We've said this a lot, and we'll continue to say it in the future, but we must stop trying to fit Jesus into our religious boxes and realize that he came to do something new. 
The illustration that Jesus gives is a call for us to embody a very specific type of posture, a posture that's willing to grow, a posture that's willing to expand. And rather than giving two to three points of how we might posture ourselves in that way, like I mentioned, we thought about utilizing the wisdom and the experience of a few fine individuals from our community to maybe speak to these points. So I'm going to invite up my friends Colby and John. You guys can come on up. Let's give a little uh, round of applause for these gentlemen as they come up here. Mm -hmm. I want to be next to you, John. There you go. <clears throat> All right, gentlemen. Uh, so let's start. Uh, maybe a intro to who you are, family, vocation, background, whatever you feel is pertinent to uh, kind of our conversation this morning. Great. Uh, well, yeah, my name is John Tiddleton. Um, Lisa and I are married. She's right there. And uh, Kobe and I and Lisa and so it was four couples and a single guy moved up here to the Northwest 2010 uh, to plant a church. Uh, and can you, where do I need to stop this part and go back to background? Tell us more about your family and your vocation. What do you do oh, right we'll now for work? Yeah. We'll okay. get into that, yeah. Yeah, I'm a cabinet maker and contractor here in Spokane and uh, have been doing that since about 2013. And uh, yeah, that's what I do day to day, week to week. Got, yeah, just one mic. Uh, my name's Colby Ivey. Uh, my wife is Mackenzie right here. Um, we have three daughters. Uh, I work for the fire department in Coeur d'Alene, um, and that's that's it. It's <laughs> that's that's all of you <laughs> right there. Perfect. Yeah. Uh, okay. So uh, I've had the privilege of knowing these guys for, I mean, almost maybe a decade, close to it, right? So when you guys moved up in 2013. Yeah, as church planners, uh, we got connected and kind of welcomed you to Spokane, and you guys were asking questions about what's the city like and, and so on and so forth. So I've, uh, I've known these guys for a long time. Actually, you've probably become closer just in the last little while as you guys have uh, kind of found your way to new community. Um, if we look at this passage uh, from Mark that we read, um, this idea of Jesus not conforming to our expectations seems like a, a pretty clear um, truth that we can draw out of that. So um, if you just reflect personally, just you, not necessarily uh, coming up here, leading a church, any of that kind of stuff, but just you, what, uh, what's one thing in your relationship where Jesus didn't or has not conformed to your expectations and, and maybe in a way kind of forcing you to adapt in that way? Oh, man, okay. I don't think Jesus is a has conformed to any of my expectations. I'm actually quite present, though, so my ability to project goals and, and vision uh, is limited in that way. But uh, no, nothing that I've ever planned has gone according to that plan. Um, I mean, business-wise, I was making clipboards in, like, 2009, and now we build cabinetry and do remodels and additions, and I was, that was a hobby, you know? So professionally, that's what, that's been, that whole theme has carried through my spiritual life as well. 
um, the convictions that I held onto so strongly and, you know, in early life uh, have morphed and evolved into um, or filled out. They've either changed or filled out in different ways. And so that's been really beautiful to, to witness and be a part of, but I have no barometer on how the Spirit of God moves. And it's just, it's exciting to me because I like spontaneity. I don't know, Colby might be different in that sense, but yeah. Thoughts on that? Yeah, I, uh, I, so I, I grew up in the South in a Southern Baptist church where it was kind of like, uh, I grew up with a view of God that was very much this for that. If I do these right things, then this will be the outcome. Um, and for most of life, especially like growing up, I was told you can do whatever you want to, just work hard and put your energy into it. And if you outwork other people, you'll earn your spot on the athletic roster. Or if you study, you'll get the grades you want. And you, I could very well con sort of control my life. And I had menial success uh, in my own life, kind of controlling myself. And so I translated that to my life of faith. Um, and I had an identity that sort of grew out of that, um, and I felt like I pretty well had God in a box and sort of the wineskin that I wanted him in. And then, um, uh, like, marriage was something that showed me, like, no, it's not, like, I can't control it. <laughs> like, it's not a this for that. If I do these right things, then life and marriage will be easy. Or if I do this way of parenting or this theory, then my kids will just always listen and obey and I won't, they won't ever have to like be frustrated and trying to start a church and church plant was the hugest um, realization that I can't control uh, the things that I want to, like uh, some realization of powerlessness um, and inability to manipulate my circumstances by effort and uh, I just think the kingdom of God is completely upside down from that. All the teaching of, uh, I mean, the parables and paradox, so much of what Jesus teaches, like, man, that it's, it's the rich that, uh, in all the Beatitudes, it, it's, it's very much upside down from an American bootstrap mentality. Uh, and so God has, has not conformed, and I, but I still invent that way. I still try to control my circumstances very much. And um, yeah, he, he has not conformed to my view of how I, I feel like God should go. <laughs> uh, I think something interesting that you said is even though you have this experience to draw on, right? Like, uh, okay, Jesus doesn't conform. There's still that like natural tendency to say, well, I'm, I can control this next thing and maybe Jesus will begin to conform. But time and time again, we have to uh, kind of be hit upside the head to say, no, that's just not how this works. Um, you guys moved to Spokane, uh, both in a Southern Baptist church, correct? Praise God. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Uh, Joke. Yeah. Uh, so in a, in a very specific church context, right, felt called with a number of families to move up to Spokane or the Northwest um, to plant a church, a community, uh, and I would guess part of that was let's plant something new, right? Like let's, um, let's kind of expand, not just geographically, but, but kind of expand what church might look like. Uh, why? Like, what do you think drove that decision for you or drove that desire for you? And why this place? Why kind of Spokane in, in a way? You go. 
I, I don't know that we ever, at the very beginning, I don't know that we intended to plant a church. I, we would meet in Texas on Monday nights for dinner with a group of nine of us, and we had a great community, and we wanted to leverage what we had with all this idealism and zeal, and we wanted to do something for God with the purest of intentions, um, and we had the chance to move to the Northwest. We had some friends in Moscow who said, hey, come up here. There's a church up here who can kind of give you guys uh, a space to figure out what it is you want to do. Um, and this was in the early 2000, uh, kind of late, you know, 20, 2009, 2010, and church planting was just what you did if you're a group of people who want to follow God. And I don't know that we ever really wanted to start a church, and but we were told like, oh, you, you're, you're going to church plant. And like, okay, I guess we'll church. That's what you do if you love God and have a group of people. And uh, so we landed in Moscow. And for a year, we had, uh, a, we came from kind of a mega church model. And they gave us way too much money to travel around and figure out where in the Northwest we wanted to plant a church. And so we went to, this is kind of your point to why to Spokane, um, at first we thought, oh yeah, you know, Portland or Seattle or Bellingham or Missoula or Bend or somewhere that we idealized is like, oh, we'll go to this really cool city and we'll take it over for God and we'll baptize everybody in the city by the time we're done and just uh, lots of, uh, of hope. Um, and we would travel through Spokane to get to all these places and um, we loved Spokane, but our first interactions were just I-90 and division and thought like, I don't, and the people would tell us we'd eat in Spokane, like, oh yeah, we're looking for where we're gonna go on the way to the airport or wherever, they're like, oh, you know, Spokane sucks. Like, you go to these other places. You don't, this, 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 a, this, this kind of this, felt like just kind of a wet blanket like on the atmosphere whenever we would just pass through. But um, we slowly really fell in love with it, and that's a, a story of its own, but we finally landed on Spokane with a lot of enthusiasm. And actually, there's, maybe you guys have seen these stickers that say Spokane doesn't suck, or this sort of hashtag. That's like one of our guys who moved up here. Uh, he, we were sitting in our Moscow living room, and we were trying to convince ourselves that Spokane didn't suck. And so he made this website and started making t-shirts, and, and it, we be, really fell in love with the city, and I don't think we would have lasted anywhere else. I think we uh, were some of the biggest Spokane advocates. Or like I, my mom has moved up here, my in-laws. We we got other friends moving up here. Like we we love this place, but um, I don't know that we ever intentionally set out to plant a church in the first place. But maybe John can talk about how it morphed into that. Yeah, and you tell us if we're too long. I'm sorry. Yeah, yeah, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, I mean our our. Our hope in the beginning was really just, it was more of a commune, actually, if I'm honest about it. I'm not particularly comfortable in a church setting, as you can probably see. Uh, but the, the vision was really to not lose what we had in terms of relational capital with one another. And, and we did love God. And so our, our hope was, how can we harness that? Um, but in my original picture in my head was this big brick building with a courtyard in it and there was gardens in the middle of it and we all love Jesus and we just live together and um, that was really the sim simplistic model of, of what was in my head and as we grew and matured a bit it 
became less selfish and, and, and kind of morphed into what, what Inland became. And, and so, so it went from kind of commune to church. Uh, and, uh, and then we you know, fell in love with the idea of, hey, how can we use our friendships to, to love the people that were around, regardless if it was Spokane or Bend or wherever we ended up landing. And so, yeah, that's kind of, that's kind of the end of it. <clears throat> One of the things that you just mentioned there, which I think is really interesting, is uh, if we go back to this Mark passage, right, you had a specific ideal or, or idealistic uh, way of thinking about this commune living, and then it became, uh, as it matured, as it grew, you said it became kind of less selfish, less about yourself. So once again, Jesus kind of uh, does not conform to what you think in terms of that call in your life. And out of that, Inland Church is born, right? So a, um, from the outside appearance, a, just a kind of a regular church, something new that's happening in Spokane. Uh, you, Inland Church was around uh, as an organization for how many years? So about a decade, like 2013, somewhere in there to... 10 to, believe, 20, yeah. 10 to 20. Okay. Yeah. Um, Ultimately, in the last few years, you guys decided that uh, it was time to close Inland Church for a number of factors. We don't have to go into all of those, uh, but I'm sure that's an interesting story, which uh, questions could be asked after service or, or in the future if, if folks want to know that. What emotions have you tied to that process? Uh, and then kind of a follow-up question is, um, from a worldly perspective, I think folks might look in from the outside and say, oh, that church closed down, that's a failure. Is that how you see it? Uh, or do you attach something different to the closure of Inland Church? Uh, you know, last night when I was thinking through this, I was like, no, man, you have, I think it is a, a great skill of religious folk um, like myself, to twist what we, what could be real and to make it more palatable and say, no, it wasn't a failure, man, that's just a season, you know, beautiful season. And I think that's true. I think it, it so I would have answered this differently yesterday and then I reflected on it. I was like, no, dude, that was a straight failure, you know. And yeah, yeah, in one, in one sense, I think it, it really was. Um, or if you change the analogy, to, to see it more positively, which I think is also helpful in the, the wineskin um, metaphor, is that uh, you put new wine in wineskins, and, and, you know, maybe we just drank it all after that, you know, like, <laughs> there's no more wine in the skin. So I think that's, so yes, failure in a sense, in an American sense, you know, uh, we, we close, and I, I don't think that it was because we uh, failed in any big light, but that we just weren't willing to give what it was required of us anymore at that at this stage in life with kids and and work and and what was demanded uh, on, on everyone in the community, not just the leadership part. Uh, so, yes, failure and no, you know, we drank it. Yeah. Yeah, we we drank it. We, we did. I feel like like I, I work with a lot of patients who have dementia uh, from time to time and they'll flash back to their experience in war or their 
childhood, and I feel like if when I get dementia, like those 10 years at Inland is like the richest, most flavorful moments of my life. Like I feel like I will, my wife will be changing my diapers, hearing me talk about the different crazy things we did or attempted to do from a place of genuine faith. And like, I, I feel like, like the, the pure in heart shall see God. Like I, I, we screwed up so many things, but we, I don't think we ever did it from anything but a pure heart. Um, so that's the sort of emotion I have tied to it. Like it was a really deep, formative thing that I absolutely needed in my life. If I would have died without trying to do what we did, I think I would have regretted or had bitterness. But you know like the, the feeling maybe after you finish a hard workout or go for a, a, a run, like you run as hard and fast as you can and like the feeling at the end, uh, you ran a 5K and you're like, oh, you're, you're so tired, ex completely exhausted, but like you're so happy that you did the run. You don't want to do it again and you feel like you might puke sometimes at the thought of having to go run again. That's how I feel about church planting. Like, I've ran so hard and so fast, and I am so happy that it, it the, the run was nothing but a, uh, it was not a, a failure to have gone run. I'm more tired and more exhausted, and I don't maybe th think about running the same way I did after <laughs> having planted a church, but so happy to have done, like, a, like, on a soul level, you think, like, yes, my soul needed that experience, that exercise with God in order to and I feel like it grew muscles and it grew uh, a perspective that I never would have had other than a genuine adventure of faith that, yeah, in the end, we're not running anymore. I, I mean, we're running with you guys, on the, but yeah, we're, we're not leading the pack anymore. And that's, God bless you <laughs> for that. <laughs> uh, one of the things... Uh, so I actually have been privy to know more of the story, right, just through relationship. One of the things I think I've really admired is um, the strength that it, I think it sometimes takes to actually close something, whether it's viewed as a failure or not, but just the willingness to say, we don't have the margin, the energy to give this what it needs. And I think if you go back to your like idea of kind of that American pull yourself up by your bootstraps. I think too often we probably just say, well, I am going to absolutely grind this thing out because I have to, because I'm unwilling to uh, maybe step into the unknown or step into this idea that some per person from the outside might view this as a failure. And what I have loved, and I know that this uh, kind of this process did not come without pain and mourning and, and all of those things, um, but what I think is really admirable is the strength to say, we drank the wine. It's, it's done. And, uh, and I, I think there's something about that that I have really kind of looked in from the outside, both in your lives, but then also in the team, uh, the leadership team, to say that's, um, that's really admirable to do it in, in a way that's gracious and honorable. And in many ways, you've kept intact those relationships and uh, those people you're still very close with. And, uh, and that's, I think, a really beautiful picture of that. Um, you guys have learned a number of things through this process, certainly. What's, could you identify the thing that you learned or the way that you had to grow both through the process of opening but then also the process of closing. Uh, could you kind of distill it down to if, if there was one thing I was, I was to share 
that God did in me through this time, what would that be? The thing God did in me. Uh, surprise, perhaps. I don't. Uh, yeah, surprise that you know. You think you have people pegged. You think like you see someone, you meet somebody new, and you think I got them. I know. Okay, whether it's their dress or whatever, the the way they hold themselves that throughout the whole journey has been that God continually surprises me with who people are and what the Spirit of God does in, in people who you think uh, are a certain way. And then they either say something that is profound or holy or convicting that you didn't expect to come from. <laughs> uh, and that's really humbling because then you realize you don't know anything. <laughs> so, uh, so I think through the whole process, it's just been a witnessing that over and over, both in yourself, but mostly in, in the people of the church, you know, all around. Uh, so it, it's exciting for me because I get to meet all of these new people in here uh, that we didn't know before and wouldn't have known. I mean, I only went to probably three church services over the 10-year span that wasn't Inland Church. Um, so when we traveled, we didn't go to other churches just because we were done with that. Um, and so it's really a beautiful and kind of shocking thing to be able to come in and, and see new faces that we hadn't seen or hadn't known. But, yeah. yeah I, just to echo that, I, I think we... That if you're willing to take a step back and look for it, God... I had the experience of God truly being present in everybody. I gave myself a chance to see them in. Like, most people are just doing their best, and that's by whatever metric you want to use. Sometimes it's enough, sometimes it's not, or, or whatever. But uh, the continual presence of God in the lives of people around you, including yourself, if you give yourself the eyes, uh, just the, the breath to, to see it, uh, that's something obviously have a lifetime to learn but um, the, the, the biggest thing I, I think I learned throughout this journey is just what I alluded to earlier is like I actually control is a bit of an illusion and uh, the, the quicker that that ego may be the wrong word and maybe the completely right word but it's the quicker that can die and you can just learn to find God in the people around you and be present uh, I mean, I think that's the picture we, we see when it, um, anyway, but yeah, that it actually is a pretty, pretty good place, and that God is, is very present if you uh, will breathe out and just in, uh, embrace it. <laughs> uh, you guys begin to kind of come here. This is our, uh, our final question for the morning. Started to show up to new community uh, a year and a half ago, two years. I don't actually know the timeline. Somewhere in there, post COVID, yeah, we were starting post, to meet again. Post-COVID yeah, type stuff, yeah. Um, and it, a bit of a trickle, right? Kind of one or two, and then more families from your community begin to come, and that again kind of uh, points back to the closeness and relationship that you all have with each other, which I think is really cool. Um, after having been 
central in a church leadership, leading, uh, helping lead in a church environment, I think uh, it would be really tempting just to say, I've done it, and maybe I'm going to give church a rest for a little while because I'm I've run the race, right? I'm exhausted. I'm tired. I need space. I need to do something else. Uh, I mean, I think culturally we could all identify that we ourselves maybe are struggling with that to a degree or we have friends that have kind of said, man, I've put in the work in a church environment. I'm, I'm kind of done with it. You guys have chosen not to do that. You've chosen to settle in to a different church community uh, to be a part of, to help, to uh, attend, all those kinds of things. So what does it look like for you individually as a family uh, or as families to now be a part of a church community after having helped run a church community? What does that look like in your, in your experience and your faith in, in that way? Yeah, uh, it, the first Sunday here was very shocking. Like, I didn't have to set up any chairs or prep any sermons, and I just sat in a pew like that viscerally was very shocking but the reason we continue to do it is I mean we just I feel like we tasted it like we saw the benefit of the community the community has bore so much fruit in our life and I think inland to its peril negated the institutional side of things for a community like nope we, we refused the institutional because we coming from a mega church type thing and we had too much rebellion in us that we weren't willing to do that. And that was immature of us. Um, the community hangs on institutions. It, the, if the framework isn't there, the community will slowly dissolve. It's just impossible for it to uh, organically be this magical thing. It just doesn't happen. So I think we we've seen the fruit of community and now we understand that it hangs on institution and what it looks like for us to be here right now just in vulnerability is to let you guys do the institution and <laughs> let us be the community inside the institution and i think that community is growing like we were at the conley's house the other night for the deconstruction thing and meeting new people and, and seeing that this community can grow and we don't want to be a a church in a church or a community in a bigger like we don't want to be our own thing that's not our goal but um i think uh what it looks like to be yeah hopefully that institutional thing i don't mean that as a negative word at all it's just i think it's absolutely imper imperative um did i answer your question great yeah and i i think for me personally it's it is just similar and it's a shock you know as I said I, I don't think I visited very many churches over that span of 10 years but uh, it, it's like riding a bike you know you kind of get used to that and uh, and so thanks for your patience if I've met you and it was very awkward it's probably because <laughs> I'm not used to it yet uh, but uh, so yeah it's a shocking um, to be back in the community of, of believers that that has real defined introductions and benedictions and because we just we were a little we were a little bit raw and gritty and um and awkward and so that's uh it's it's hard to get used to formality again but but it's good so thank you for letting us be here absolutely uh,
last things you would uh, want to say or encouragements or? Uh, no, I just have a lot of, I just have a lot of thanks. <laughs> yeah, this uh, is awkward, but <laughs> great, it's fine. <laughs> uh, no, I mean, when we first got here, emailing you and Russ were one of the first things and a handful of other churches, but we met with you guys at the old building at no, uh, it was no, no lie. No lie. Yeah. Yeah. Very spicy pasta. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and, and we sat down with you and Russ and hearing some of your bivocational convictions and um, censoring, majoring on the major, just a lot of the ways you spoke, you gave language to the thought of maybe we can be a church. Like maybe yeah. there is a way to do this different than we've seen because I all of a sudden we're church planting. I don't know if we really want to, but then I guess what I want to end with is just thank you for walking with us sure. in this process. You guys have continually been a resource for us and the whole community has been very gracious to um, let us be here and flood the kids' zone. And, <laughs> yeah. um, so. Inland shows up with a lot of kids, I can tell you that much, yeah. <laughs> uh, let's thank these two uh, individuals this morning for being with us. Thanks, guys. Uh, one of the things that Colby mentioned was this idea of, like, institution, right? And I think... Um, Part of what a lot of us are doing right now, wrestling with, grappling with, of what of that institution is important that we hang on to, and what of it maybe is not all that helpful right now. And I think there's probably some overarching themes that we could draw from that or things we could talk about. Some of that might also be personally held things as well. And I think uh, giving spaces like the deconstruction uh, short is a great way for community to come together and then begin to grapple with and wrestle with these ideas because uh, like he said, there does, structure is important too. And, uh, and some of that institution is critically important because that's where our community fits and is protected and uh, it's important to hold on to some of those things. So take that as an encouragement this morning. Uh, new community, let us stand. My, uh, before we go to our benediction this morning, two things I'll say. If you've got a minute this week, reread this passage, or maybe just sit with this passage and think about this idea of wine and wineskins. And I think ask some of those questions of yourself. What does it look like to be a new wineskin? What does it look like to not try to control or, uh, or have Jesus conform to the things that you want, the desires that you have, and just avail yourself to who God is? Avail yourself to the work of the kingdom and to be a new wineskin in that way, able to adapt, able to, uh, to be a place of newness, a place of new being in a really, really beautiful way directly following service, if something was sparked this morning uh, and you feel like you need a little follow-up or just a moment of prayer uh, with somebody, Jerusha will be up front. There might be a few other folks uh, that can pop up here. Uh, and if you just need uh, a hand of prayer upon you, feel free to come up front. Uh, we would love to give that some space. We're going to close this morning with a benediction that we're actually going to read together and over each other. So rather than me saying a benediction over everybody, we as a community are going to say a benediction over our community. All right? 
so let's recite this together. May the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Amen. Go in peace and have a wonderful week.